advisory to those who are not animal lovers, open to new ideas, or interested in integrative holistic healthcare for your pets, and believe that prescription diet is the best food for your pet. This podcast may offend your sensibilities. Have you ever felt frustrated and helpless after listening and doing everything your vet told you to do, but it only made your sick pet worse and not get any better? That's me in 2008 with my first adopted cat, Meow. I did everything the vet told me to do and I realised she wasn't getting any better and only worse. So I decided to look into alternative health options and was drawn to the stories of holistic pet service entrepreneurs and their transformative journey, overcoming obstacles, chasing their passion and creating a movement that has caused a ripple effect of positive change in the lives of their clients and pets around the world. Join me as I share the raw, inspiring journeys of these amazing entrepreneurs, their successes and failures. My name is Amrys Wang, and this is The Raw Entrepreneur. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world right now. This is Amrys Wang of The Raw Entrepreneur. Today's episode is with the legendary doyen of pet food consumer advocacy, Susan Thixton. Susan Thixton is a pet food consumer advocate one of just a handful of advocates in the U.S. that fight to hold the pet food industry accountable to existing food safety regulations. She's the founder of Association for Truth in Pet Food, a pet food consumer stakeholder organization which holds advisory position on several pet food regulatory committees. Susan is the author and co-author of several books, the publisher of the website truthaboutpetfood.com, petsumerreport.com, and Association for Truth in Pet Food. This is her story. Who is Susan Thixton, please? Uh, I am a dog food and cat food consumer advocate. I represent consumers uh, with... um, going up against regulatory authorities because, and and we need this, um, because, and this is in the U.S., um, because regulators here in the U.S. do not enforce law. They allow pet foods in the United States to directly violate law without disclosing the illegal ingredients to the consumer. So I'm the pain, the thorn in their side um, that, you know, keeps going, excuse me, um, you can't do this. This is illegal. And, and, you know, they blow me off, ignore me, um, but I keep going back. And, and at the very least, I share what I learn, what I uncover with consumers so that at least someone is telling consumers, you know, the reality of products that are out there on store shelves. So how did you get involved with all this? Um, This has been 30 years ago. My veterinarian 
who I grew up with. When I was a kid and we had dogs, we would go to this veterinarian and I was a young adult and my dog um, had a tumor pop up on her pelvic bone almost overnight. And I take her to this long trusted veterinarian and he knew more about pet food back then than most veterinarians do today. He, he understood so much, you know, that I didn't have a clue of at this time. And he told me that this was a tumor and it was bone cancer. And I had about two weeks to tell her goodbye. And he said, more than likely, the cause of her cancer was from a chemical preservative that is added to the pet food. Now, this was the dog food I was feeding was the number one pet food in the U.S. at the time. Um, I had no idea what a chemical preservative was. I really didn't understand shelf life. But I was so devastating that I picked, went home and, and this time, you know, there's no Internet to look up the phone number. Uh, I had to call information and keep calling around, but ultimately I found the phone number of this country company and asked them, the only thing I was brave enough at that time to ask them was how long the food would stay fresh. What was the shelf life of the food? And what they told me changed my life. They told me, and they were very proud to state it this way, that the dog food would stay fresh for 25 years. Oh, God. And, and those words just, you know, changed me forever. Not only my dog died because of what I gave her, um, but this food had a shelf life that lasted three times as long as my dog lived. That was insane. This veterinarian you know, again, this was before the internet and he loaned me textbooks that he had. And, uh, you know, I had Picky's brain anytime I went in there, I'd ask him questions and uh, anything I could learn, I tried. But, and then when the internet came out, then you had access to paper, scientific studies and um, so forth. And, and then it led me to starting, I had a group of friends in 2006, um, challenge me to start a website because everything I would learn, I would share with anybody that would stand still long enough. And this group of friends said, you got to start a website. And I did. And then pet owners uh, paid my way. They wanted me to go represent Consumer's Voice at a pet food regulatory meeting and uh, went to that. And I've just continued down that path of regulations. And what did you discover? The, the worst of it is that the FDA, our federal government authority um, allows pet food to contain, and I'm quoting, diseased animals and animals that have died other than by slaughter. So if you can imagine um, a cow dies in a field, 
and it lays there for three days decomposing. That carcass, that decomposing carcass is then picked up, taken to, it's called a rendering facility. They grind the carcass and they sell that to pet food with no disclosure to pet owners. That is a direct violation of US laws, direct violation of US laws. But the FDA, the government authority says, we believe it's safe. So based on this response, we believe it's safe. So you can, with our government, you can file what's called a Freedom of Information Act request. And with any government authority, you can ask for emails, science, whatever. And so I asked the FDA, they claimed it's safe. So I filed a Freedom of Information Act request for the science that proves it's safe. There was no science. They, they responded back to this official request that there was no documents, there was no science. So this material, this illegal material is in so many pet foods and, and nobody knows which one. What we found is that it can be in an inexpensive pet food up to a perceived high quality, much more expensive pet food, same ingredients, the exact same ingredients. Oh my goodness. So basically, it, it really sounds like the pet food industry, they are knowingly poisoning our animals and making well, they, money out of it. They're, they're knowingly using illegal ingredients and making money off them. Okay, that much we can, we can say with absolute certainty. And it's our government that is allowing these companies to do this. Uh, it's, it's beyond my understanding that, that this can be allowed. In the US, and, and I don't know the laws in other countries like I do here, but uh, I assume uh, most countries, they're the same or they don't have laws at all. Like in Canada, uh, there are no regulations. There's no authority overseeing anything. Uh, Australia, I don't know if they've changed that. Um, after they had the mega esophagus outbreak, um, they, um, they had petitions from consumers going, this has, has to stop. The government has to regulate pet products. And they were initiating a, a, a system to start to regulate pet foods better. I don't know where it's ended up, but, um, and I lost my train of thought. What was your, no. what was your question? <laughs> well, <laughs> that they were knowingly poisoning our animals and making money out of it. Yeah, and, 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 but, uh, oh, I know. Okay, so the difference here is that pet food is regulated as feed, like cattle feed, chicken feed. Feed is not food. It's not held to food laws. Feed is not designed to sustain an animal's long life. 
feed is used, used to provide nourishment to livestock animals just to sustain life until they're slaughtered for meat. Okay, feed is meant to be stored in a barn, not brought in homes. But most pet foods are not food at all. Not one part of them abide by food law. They are feed. We have also asked our government, okay, this isn't right. Cattle feed is labeled as feed. Chicken feed is labeled as feed then these pet products should be labeled as feed. That would, at the very least, alert the consumer that this is not a food. Mm -hmm. To label them as dog food and cat food is extremely misleading to the consumer. But they won't do that either. Um, in the U.S., the, the only pet products that actually are food and they abide by every single food law. They're labeled as human grade. They have the words human grade on the pet product label. Human grade does mean that they abide by every single food law. So the same quality of ingredients that go in human food are used in this pet product. It's just the pet product is formulated to provide the right nutrition for a dog or a cat not a human, okay? But it's the same quality of ingredients. Any of the products that are not labeled human grade and pet owners cannot trust these human grade claims on a website because no one oversees claims on a website. Many of them have been caught in lies. Um, so you have to look for that, those two words, human grade actually on the product label. And then you can have confidence that that is actually approved. Oh my gosh. That, you know, the average pet parent on the street would not know this. They don't. And, and it, it's, it's so wrong. It's so deceitful. And this is all enabled by our government. The people who are supposed to be protecting our pets, us. Um, it, it's, it's just incredible. It's, it's so wrong. Well, and when people do learn these things, um, you know, then they do take action <clears throat> and not a human grade pet food is expensive, you know, uh, it, to, to be manufactured in a human food facility versus a feed facility, um, that costs a lot more money to manufacture these products. Nevertheless, the quality of ingredients. You can imagine how inexpensive a meat is when it's sourced from a cow that laid in a field dead decomposing for three days. That meat is very inexpensive. Human edible meat, on the other hand, is not so inexpensive. So these products are more expensive, but <clears throat> if you can only afford to feed a little bit of human grade food or actually your own food no seasoning you know don't don't add spices or anything to it but some actual meat actual chicken actual beef uh, a few vegetables that that's wonderful and, and you know you've got to keep it in balance 
So you still need the commercial food if you're only doing it part way. Um, so only feed up to a third of, you know, items you have in your house. Make sure that it's, it's suitable because not all foods dogs or cats can eat, um, but most of them they can. You know, when I started, because I was an accidental pet owner, um, I didn't even intend to have a pet uh, in my adulthood. It just fell onto literally my lap when my flatmate came home one night with, um, it was, I remember it was a rainy, stormy night. And she came home with a very wet kitten with an injured oh. leg. And, and she said, you know, she found this kitten and it was being chased by an older cat. So she scooped it up and brought it home. And I was like, I don't really want a cat. And I was, I was a bit worried because my flatmate was technically allergic to animals. I mean, that was what we, we knew at that time, you know. And I said, well, okay, because it's raining and thunder and lightning, we'll just keep her overnight, but she's got to go the next day. But we realized that she had an injured leg. So we, I said, oh, darn it. Now I have to bring her to the vet. <laughs> <laughs> so when I brought her to the vet, the vet said, hmm, okay, did a skin scrape and said, well, we'll have to culture it and, you know, we'll let you know, but here's some medication. It'll take about, you know, a couple of days, a week or so to, to get the results back. And I went, you're kidding me. I got to keep her for another week or so. <laughs> so, all right. Okay, fine. And it was too late. Yeah, you know, so one thing led down the rabbit hole and 13 years later, she's still with me, you know. That's awesome. The, 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 the queen of my butt heart. <laughs> she, you know, I, I love her to bits. Uh, I don't know how she did it, you know, but um, I actually damaged her gut. That was something that I, to this day, you know, I... I do feel guilty about it, but at the same time, you know, it's been a learning experience, you know, for, for me, because I did everything my, my conventional vet told me to do with her because I wanted to be, you know, the responsible pet parent. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to trust my vet, whatever my vet says, I'm just going to do That's it. Right. Yeah. And they gave me, you know, the, the, the prescription vet food that you get from, you know, the, the white bags um, in the clinic you know, and told me like, okay, this is the good stuff, you know, feed it. And unfortunately, as I was feeding it to her, you know, uh, she developed digestive issues, you know, and today she, she does still have, you know, I damaged her gut. It was quite, it's, it's long-term and I vaccinated her like every year for the first five years of her life, you know? Yeah. So she was on steroids and, and, and antibiotics. I mean, you name it, she's been through the whole, conventional thing and I that's when I started to really like think like okay this is this is a bit crazy why why is it she why isn't she getting well the vet should you know in my mind the vet should be healing her and why is it yeah. so difficult yeah. to heal her you know and thanks to Google in, uh, in the early days of Google I managed to find Dr. Karen Becker online and her website with all the articles and and it blew my mind the more I read you know and the link was the emphasis was like food what are you feeding the animal yeah you know and that's how I yeah. found you and that's how I found you <laughs> and you know I just want to put it out there to the universe everyone that 
um, Susan Thixon is like the queen of you know advocacy. I mean, like she's the dragon lady that is fighting the good fight for everyone <laughs> around the world, not just in the US. Because in Singapore, um, I have I have to admit I'm not very familiar with the laws here either when it comes to food. And I've actually spoken to some people who work in the government agencies with the you know animal department, and they don't they seem to follow the lead of AFCO. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. So, and that's not good. Yeah, so it's really not good. So you know, uh, I think basically, if there is a recall in the U.S., it will filter down somehow eventually to to our part of the world, and then you know uh, they might put it up. But I have to say, uh, in the news, we don't actually get food recalls for pet food. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. And the only time I read about food recalls is actually through you when I read your articles mm -hmm. and what you put out online on social media. Um, that's when I actually know of these alerts. Whereas in Singapore, we don't, we don't actually get them. It's you might not have uh, a government authority. And I would I'd suggest seeing what you can find out. Call those government people that you talked to before and ask if, if anyone in the government um, regulates pet products. And if they do, um, you know, ask, you know, do you post uh, recall notices? Do you oversee if there's a, if, is a, if a consumer has a complaint, my pet got sick, I really think it was because of the pet food who in your government can you turn to to report this issue to that would investigate it? If you don't have it, uh, I urge you to try to petition for that because if I, I don't, I don't know your laws, but like in the U.S., we pay a sales tax for every pet product we purchase. Now that goes to our states, not the federal government, but. Um, and each state does, you know, with that sales tax, give us a little in return by overseeing these products. Okay, so at least we have someone to turn to. And if you're paying a sales tax, if, if citizens are paying a sales tax, then I think it's, it's justified to go to your government and go, please, we need someone to oversee these products and look out, uh, you know, on our behalf and our pets' behalf. Mm. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, like even now with, um, I've been feeding raw food for almost nine years now. Um, but, and locally in Singapore, we've, well, when I first started, there wasn't, the, the concept of raw food commercially was not available. I think the only commercially available raw food was Dr. Billinghurst Bath Diet from Australia mm -hmm. that was yeah. um, imported in by someone. And yeah, that was the only like, like commercial raw food at, in the market at that time. It was like very yeah. expensive, you know, because of the shipping cost. Um, yeah. But today, fast forward today, um, we have local companies that are now um, making raw food commercially for pets. Okay. But um, in Singapore, we are a tiny little dot about one degree north of the equator. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Um, it, it literally takes less than an hour to drive from one end of the island to the other. That's how small we are. Our, po- our population is about, oh, about 6 million, give or take, you know. Uh, so we, we have a tiny population and we don't have agricultural land like say in the United States or in Australia where you have huge land and you know you can have cattle and and whatnot so everything that we consume in Singapore it's basically imported in everything everything even down to the toilet paper it's all imported in Um, right so our local pet food companies here, what they do is they will, well, the ones that do try to advertise, they will say like, oh, we only use like say human grade food now or uh, antibiotic free, hormone free. Right. I mean, it depends, but that's the, yeah. that's the usual sales gist that they use on their website. Right. And they will say that they always formulate to AFCO, at least to AFCO. Okay. Okay. okay, so AFCO is, I, I think it's like the universal international standard that a lot of countries around the world base their, you know, the, 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 the quality of food, the, the nutritionally that they, that they sell. So people in Singapore, for instance, when they hear the word AFCO, they actually think that it's um, a true, you know, uh, honest to God government uh, agency in the in the US that is looking out for pet parents. They always that that is the impression. And even yeah, even yeah. when we look at the labels, and I remember when I started as um as a pet parent, and when my first cat got ill, you know, I started to try and read the labels because you know, like okay, let's let's try and figure this out, right? Oh my goodness, I I had a hard time trying to decipher. It's worse than learning Chinese. <laughs> well, like like uh, AFCO, and it's it's not just citizens there. People here even think that AFCO is a government organization that has their pet's best interest in mind. Um, every ingredient in a pet food um, has its own legal definition that is very separate from the same ingredient in human food. As example, chicken. Okay, chicken in human food has to be uh, meet all these safety standards. It has to be sourced from slaughtered chicken. It has to be disease-free, healthy, so forth. Pet food chicken, on the other hand, holds none of these requirements. Pet food chicken can be diseased chicken. Pet food chicken can be skin only, bones only, no meat. AFCO, this organization that many, many people all over the world do think are looking out for their pets, they own the legal definitions of all of these pet food ingredients. In the US, if you want to look up any ingredient, what it means in human food, all the laws, all the legal definitions are public. We can access them on the internet, but we can't with pet food ingredients. They are owned by AFCO, they're copyright protected, and AFCO charges $120 a year 
to access these definitions. Um, with, without the public knowing that chicken could be condemned, diseased chicken, or it could just be chicken bones, you see that label and it, it looks beautiful and it says made with real chicken, well, of course, we're going to think that. And actually, it, it goes to what veterinarians don't know as well, too. All of these definitions and all of these rules um, are, are not available to veterinarians either. So it, it, it keeps everybody kind of behind blinders. You know, you can only see so much. We don't know really what's going on. And it's very unfortunate that it's, it's all hidden. Another thing on a label, and you've probably seen this, the, the name of the pet food is, you know, best cat food with chicken, with chicken. The word with, when it's in the name, with chicken, means that that product only has to contain 3% of, of the whole, 3% chicken. So like in a 18 pound bag of dog food um, with chicken, that can be as little as six ounces of chicken in that entire bag. Oh, but there again, without all of these things being public and explained to pet owners and explained to veterinarians, they don't know. And so you trust this pet food manufacturer or with a vet's case, the sales rep for the prescription foods comes in and says, this is tremendous. This is a great food and look, it's with chicken. Um, they have no idea. They have no idea because they don't know the laws behind it because the laws are kept hidden from everybody. Was it easy for you to find, find this out yourself personally? Um, it, it, little bits at a time, you know. Little, I, I had a pet owner once explain to me that um, she was, this is a pet owner that followed my website for several years and this was early on. And I posted something and she couldn't believe it. She was going, no, that can't be true. I, I, I just don't accept it, you're wrong. And I went, yeah, it is true. I gave you all the information. All you gotta do is read it, it is true. And we went back and forth in emails and finally I went, you know, I, I can't keep arguing with you. I gave you all the information. If you can't accept it, you know, that's all I can do. And about a month later, she came back and emailed me again. And she went, you know, understanding all of this is sort of like getting to the center of an onion. I could only remove one layer at a time and, and then let that sink in and absorb it and accept it. You, you know, me, she was saying, you tried to take me to the very center of the onion, just like that. And she couldn't, she couldn't accept it. So we all learn it in, in layers, you know, and then one thing, and then when you think that there couldn't be any more, it couldn't, couldn't get any worse, then, you know, we learn more and more. I've, I've had 
employees of pet food manufacturing reach out to me and teach me things. Um, it, it's, you know, I keep getting information and then there's more of us just like you, okay? This is a team effort. It's, it's us, you know, and it's, it's a world of us. And um, it's, it's very significant that we all work together. We're all on the same path. We all have pets health, you know, their best health and interest. So with more and more of us, we keep sharing it and, and we keep learning more. Did you get a lot of resistance when you were trying to get all this information from AFCO? Um, oh, yeah. I, I've had my life threatened. Um, they have once, I have an adult daughter that works with me and nobody knows her name. Um, they once used her name and said they were going to kill her if I didn't stop. Um, at an AFCO meeting one time, I just walked in the door. I mean, I had just gotten there. This happened to be one that was close enough for me to drive to versus fly to. Um, and so I just drove, parked my car, walked into the hotel. And right at that moment, I get a text from a number I don't know. And they said, welcome to AFCO. And you better stop. So it that scared me. You know, someone obviously was watching me and knew when I arrived. Um, these are not the nicest people. They are absolutely not the nicest people. When I first started going to AFCO meetings, I was there by myself. You know, it was like being in the lion's den. It was very uncomfortable. Um, I didn't do, you know, I didn't I would get carry out and take it to my room and eat and because it was just intimidating and a little scary. Now we have uh, a group of us that, that go and we watch each other's back, but um, someone follows us everywhere we go. Um, it, it's crazy. It, it's so, yeah, there's been a lot of resistance, but um, you, you pet owners deserve to know what's going on and we deserve a voice. We deserve to be at AFCO meetings and to say, wait a minute, you, you can't do that. At an AFCO meeting in 2015, uh, it was in Denver, Colorado. The topic of discussion was, now this was more for livestock feed than pet food but it was expired grocery foods. And the example given was yogurt cups, say a six pack of those little yogurt cups. When that's expired in the grocery, it goes to a dumpster and they can't sell it when it's expired. It goes to a dumpster back behind the store. And we all thought that that dumpster goes to a landfill. It does not. That dumpster um, filled with expired food and the plastic that food is packaged in goes to a rendering facility. It is ground and then fed to livestock animals. 
So they were explaining this at an AFCO meeting. And a veterinarian friend of mine stood up and went to the microphone and went, wait a minute, you can't put this in cattle feed. That would mean my daughter is drinking milk with elements of plastic in it. And the entire room, 400 people, booed her loudly because all they want is cheap feed, sheep ingredients. Um, that, was, that was the most startling thing that's ever happened at an AFCO meeting. Uh, we've been yelled at, we've been mocked. Um, in those Freedom of Information Act request emails, we've, we've seen in emails where they've mocked us, the advocates and consumers um, they, they really don't welcome consumers, and it's, it's unfortunate. We're the largest stakeholder of pet food. Without pet owners, there is no pet food industry. And by the way they treat us, um, they're, they're losing business because more and more people are, are going to making pet food on their own. You know, they're finding a good recipe. And if you do this, anyone out there, if you do it, you have to find a good quality recipe that's to make sure that this recipe provides all the nutrition your cat or your dog needs. But it's not rocket science. It's not real hard. You just have to find the right recipe. And, and because of, um, you know, this battle that they constantly battle with us when we go, wait, we, we can't do this. That's illegal. Um, it, it's causing more distrust of the entire industry when there are good companies out there. There are companies that are using high quality ingredients, are testing their products, uh, you know, to make sure that they provide all the safe all the required nutrients in there. There are good companies, but um, so many pet owners are just losing all faith in, in the industry as a whole, and they're going to making it themselves, you know, which I think homemade pet food, as long as you follow a good recipe, is the best. I think it's the best. Wow. Okay. So, you know, what you've just told me has blown my mind so many times. <laughs> um, and, you know, so for listeners out there, AFCO isn't actually, is, is a privately run <clears throat> organization that people mistakenly assume that it's government run or like is related to the government. I mean, honestly, when I talk to even like people in Singapore, they all think that AFCO is the US government department. Well, it's a, it's a little tricky, and, and I'll explain why I think they've made it a little tricky. AFCO, A-A-F-C-O, stands for the American Association, or the Association of American Feed, F-E-E-D, Control Officials. It is a private organization. It is not part of U.S. government. However, all AFCO members are government. They are state and federal government employees. So 
why would this private organization bring in government employees who are participating in AFCO as part of their federal jobs or state jobs, government jobs? Why would they need an extra, this, this private organization? Well, it's because of these illegal ingredients. It's because chicken in pet food has its own legal definition, which is nothing similar to food. Our laws require specifically state that food is defined exactly the same as what animals eat or what humans eat. Uh, adulterated food is in law is exactly the same. So these government employees could not allow diseased animals and animals that have died other than by slaughter into pet products unless some other independent third party came up with the, the definitions. It's not us, it's AFCO. Uh, so AFCO writes all the legal definitions. And then the government employees of AFCO, but back in their regular job, then adopt what AFCO wrote as their state law and nobody questions it. Does that make sense? Oh, that sounds so dirty. Yeah, it, it's, it's very unethical. It's not done in the public when you, and, and attending an AFCO meeting is very expensive just to walk in the door is $550. Um, nevertheless, you know, your airfare to get there, your hotel room, your meals, it, it's a $1,500 to $2,000 expense twice a year. And then, you know, you go and get booed and you go in and disagree and they dismiss you. Um, it's quite frustrating, but we have to be there. We have to still show them, hey, our pets matter to us and we're gonna still be here and we're gonna keep asking you. If it's a million times, we're gonna keep asking. Oh my goodness. You know, this, what you're describing really sounds like one of those conspiracy theories from the movies, like, you know, uh, you know like the Pelican Brief and all that, um, Aaron Brockovich. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, it's very sinister, especially when your life has been threatened, your family's been threatened, you know, and obviously they are, they are watching you when you're not looking, you don't realize it. Um, and for a lot of people, they, you know, it, it's something that they cannot conceive and understand that it's actually really happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it, it's crazy. It shouldn't be this way. You know, I, and you, you think, you know, am I being paranoid? It, you know what, but we're not, we, we have so much evidence and, and we're only discussing the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's, it's so involved and it's, it's so sad, you know, to me that a pet owner is not told this information that the label doesn't have like a pack of cigarettes is required in the U.S. to have this big warning on the side of the package. Pet food should have the same warning. 
some of these foods that contain illegal ingredients are sold in grocery stores right next to human food. Um, Babies crawling around on a floor might pick up that kibble that contains the remnants of a decomposing animal carcass in it and put that kibble in its mouth. It's, it's, it's very wrong. And, um, you know, we're, we're just gonna keep, the, you know, the best we can do at this point is just to keep spreading the education. There's a document on my website if anyone wants to really go into the regulations and see how horrible it can be um, on, on the homepage on, oh no, on, on a post on the side, and I can send you this, this a link to this document, but it's a white paper that I put together about all the failures of the regulatory system in the United States. Uh, and it, it, you know, when I, I wrote all of this stuff in all separate articles over many years, and when I put them all together in this one document, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So, but um, it's, it's information that empowers pet owners. Once you know this, then you are more informed and you can ask your pet food manufacturer more precise questions. You can be very specific in, in knowing what you need to ask them. So the more a pet owner learns, and not just from me, from Karen Becker, from Rodney Habib, from uh, Dr. Judy Morgan, Dr. Lori Kojer, you know, go, go read all of these people's websites and read their work um, and, and start to grow your, your knowledge of the industry. It's, it's to, to your benefit and your pet's benefit to do that. Did you ever think about giving up? Because you've been, I mean, it's like, what, 30 years? No, um, uh, no, it's been since 2006, okay. really, that okay. I've, I've been active. Um, when they threatened my daughter's life, mm. when they threatened her life. Um, but I went to her and said, um, okay, I'll quit. If, if you want me to quit, you know, now, you know, they threatened me. Uh, I can only die once. They can only kill me once. So, you know. There could be worse ways to go. Um, but when, when it's her and she went, no, don't quit. You know, some things are worth dying for. And, and um, this, this is important, you know? So we have to keep digging and finding their secrets. And, and we do, we continue to dig and find their secrets. So, um, and it's important that we do. And it's important that then that information gets shared with pet owners because it makes us all better pet owners. The more we learn, the, the better decisions we can make. I, you know, honestly, I, am, have, I have so much respect for you um, right now listening to all this because if I was in your shoes, I probably would have gone F it. Uh, that's it. You know, <laughs> screw it. That's it. I'm done. You know, 
um, not not gonna not gonna risk anything to to you know. Uh, well, I I pretty much know exactly who's done the threats, and I protect myself in that uh, there are a whole vast network of people who also know exactly who put you know, sent the threats uh, and should something happen to me or anyone that I care about, um, they, their worst nightmare that, that they're trying to keep secret uh, will then become very, very public. So there is something that, that we continue to work on that I can't discuss, but that we've been working on for quite a while that, that is awful. I mean, I can't, I can't even begin to describe how awful it is. And it's, it's been very difficult to get information on. And once we gather all the information that we need, then that will go public as well. Too. How, uh, I can't imagine the, the, the amount of time and effort to go into investigative uh, reporting that you do, because that is what you are. You, you, you are basically an investigative journalist in, in your own personal capacity because you're, you're digging out all this information. Um, could you share roughly, you know, with, with parents out, you know, out here, like, you know, what is the process that you do? Because, you know, if they want to try and do something, you know, how do you go, how do you go about you know, um, trying to to investigate and and fact check and and all that because it takes a lot of time. It does. Um, it, well, since since I mostly deal with regulations and laws, then I'm dealing with government employees, and with that, you can file those Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, and I assume Singapore has similar type laws, I, I would guess, but um, you, could, you could file them like if your pet food company is manufactured in another country, um, probably other countries, all other countries have similar laws. So as example, um, there were, was, there has been 92 million pounds of canned dog food that was recalled in, in less than two years that contained the drug penobarbital. Penobarbital is the drug they use to euthanize animals. So finding this drug in the pet food meant that a euthanized animal and the lethal drug that was used to end its life is in the pet food. So when a recall happens, and these, these recalls, the first recall happened because a pet owner's dog, it was on New Year's Eve, and she thought she was doing the right thing, and she gave this pet food as a treat, a New Year's Eve treat, to her five little dogs. And within 10 minutes, they all started staggering around and falling over and she scooped, she knew something was wrong, scooped them all up, went to the emergency clinic and one of them died. And she had eaten the most food. And this pet owner did the absolute right thing by um, having 
a necropsy, an autopsy performed on her dog. And the scientists that performed the, the necropsy found that the stomach contents in the little dog's stomach, it looked funny. So he had the, the food in her little stomach tested and the food contained pentobarbital. That is what made all the animals sick and killed her. And so these lab results were then provided to FDA or government regulatory authority and a recall happened. Well, a television station all the way across the country saw this recall. Uh, she did interview this pet owner and she got to wondering if more pet foods would happen to contain pentobarbital. And so this TV station did testing on pet food themselves. And they tested, I think, 81 cans of pet food and nine cans came back positive, um, which resulted in many more recalls. So all of those pet foods were, were recalled. Um, so finding these things out, um, you, you know, you can then, knowing that the FDA, after the first recall, went in and investigated the first pet food manufacturing facility, you can file that Freedom of Information Act request with the FDA. I want the inspection report of this pet food. And so they'll, they'll give you all the documents and you're now sometimes, most times the FDA delays these reports for two years. And I'm not kidding, they stall and delay giving these documents for two years. Uh, I'm still waiting on, on two, uh, one that was filed probably four years ago and one that's probably five years ago. I'm still waiting. Um, so um, when you do finally get these documents, um, then you read through them and that might trigger you, you know, you might read something that you go, oh my goodness, and that sends you in another direction where you have to request more documents or you ask questions of a different party, so forth. So it, it's just learning, you know, what options are available to you to investigate. Private companies like the pet food manufacturers are not required to disclose anything to you. So you have to go to government and to find the information out. But sometimes it takes a long time. You know, just like I was explaining, I'm still waiting on, on well, I'm waiting on several, but those are very old. And FDA just, you know, especially when it's things they don't want to answer, you know, because they know what I'm going to do with it. They know I'm going to make it public. So um, it just takes a while. I just encourage everybody to, to just keep asking questions. You know, you can, if it's a pet food manufacturer, so get two different email addresses and uh, two different names and ask the same question to the pet food manufacturer from two different emails, spread, them, spread the time frame out um, or three or four or get a group of friends and do the same thing. And phrase the question a little differently, but not confusing, you know. And, and you'll probably be surprised that you'll get different answers back.
So, uh, you know, you can do things like that just to see what they'll tell you. Oh, this, it's, it all sounds really, really unethical and, and a really dark hole. Um, the business that you are in, it, it sounds very dangerous. Um, it's really not. I don't, I don't <laughs> want, I mean, I don't take those threats lightly, but it's really not. It, it's, you know, they're trying, it's like a bully on a playground. Okay, they're just trying to bully me. And uh, I, I don't take kindly to being bullied. You know, we, we have to, this is my pets. You know, uh, I would fight whoever to protect my pets. And, um, you know, now in the position I'm in now, it's not just my pets, I'm fighting for a lot of pets. And, and so, it's not dangerous. It's tedious. It's stressful, but it's all worth it. I, I love what I do. I love when I can find something and then and then share it with pet owners because I know that helps them, and that's that makes me feel good to help pet owners. You're a wonderful lady. Uh, <laughs> you you really are. You know, um, to do what you've been doing for so long. Uh, it takes a lot of chutzpah. It takes a lot of, <laughs> you know, a lot of courage and, you know, perseverance to, to do what you Yeah, do. it does take perseverance. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, do you, uh, it's like your whole day. So what does your average day look like on a, you know, normal day? It, 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 it truly depends, um, you know, on what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm sitting behind this computer um, many, many hours. And then a lot of times, you know, it's late and I'm kind of tired and, and I'll sit in bed with the laptop, continuing to either dig around and investigate and look for stuff um, or write or, you know, I unfortunately don't get the opportunity to read other people's stuff all that often. Um, because I'm always doing this, um, but, um, you know, at, at, at times when I can, I, I really enjoy reading other people's information, what, what they're learning and sharing as well. Hmm. You know, there's this documentary on Netflix called Seaspiracy. I don't know if you watched it or you heard of it. C as in no. S-E-A, like conspiracy, but the word oh, C. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I watched that um, recently and it was talking about basically the uh, fishing industry, you know, and, and what they do and how labels are also manipulated, you know. Yeah. And even yeah. even with, on a can that says um like say for instance like sardines was or do, you know like um or dolphin safe tuna, you know, or uh you know, they'll tell you that it was sustainably um fished or harvested. Um right. you know, um it turns out according to the filmmaker who was doing this investigative thing, that it's not true. And he was trying he was leading the role as in where the money trail goes and you know it it's it it's something that i think the average consumer would can't believe it 
you know, they'll think that it's it's a bit of a, a Hollywood drama kind of thing. Yeah. And yet, yeah. and yet, knowing what you do and listening to, you know, how you uncover everything and peel the layers of the onion, as you say, um, the food industry in general, be it fishing or even like cattle or, you know, sounds very... They're hiding things, you know, like how food is being processed. Yeah. The story that you shared about even just the milk, what goes into the milk that's being consumed by humans. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what is scary is that it's done behind closed doors. You know, you have to pay to get in uh, to do it, you know, uh, to, to even listening on onto these uh, conversation. But w- how you describe it, it sounds like, it's a very it's like the Kabbalah or something. They, you know, they they talk about these things very openly in a closed environment. You know, like what goes Correct. on. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Pet Fooled? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, yeah, he's a he's a friend of mine as well too. Cold Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, he he's he's actually another person that I would love to interview as well. Um, you know, because his documentary is what I actually um, get my friends and pet parents to watch, you know, you know, to educate them, you know, um, because most of the time when I try to tell them what's going on, they look at me funny, like, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a crazy (laughs) lady, you know, when I talk about, you know, they don't don't understand. And I said, like, once you know what goes into pet food, you would never want to feed them pet food. You know, especially yeah. dry food, yeah. especially dry food, you know. Um, well, even with, to me, it's not the style so much, okay? Um, because there are some, there's not many, and it's hard to know who they are, but there are some manufacturers of a dry food that use all human-grade ingredients, okay? Um, the The... The, you know, not every pet owner can afford raw. Kibble is, a dry food is a lot more affordable or their particular circumstances. They don't have freezer space, you know, for to store raw food. So everybody has different, you know, circumstances. So I don't, I think there can be good options in everything as long as the ingredients are human grade. That's what we need is quality ingredients. Then, I mean, I'm a believer in more fresh foods, even if they're lightly cooked, fresh foods where you can look at the dog or cat's bowl and you can recognize what's in there. You you know, you can see it instead of it being heavily processed. But, um, you know, the one shoe doesn't fit everyone. So um, we, we, but you still got to do your homework. If you can only afford kibble, then keep doing homework to try to find a uh, pet product, a kibble that uses only human, human grade, human edible ingredients. Yeah. And have the company put that in writing to you so that you have proof and keep that email yeah because i i work with a lot of low-income families because i'm a volunteer um uh with 
animal welfare in, in Singapore. So I actually try to educate low-income families on how to freshen up the food because I do realize that they can't afford raw food. You know, most of the time they live paycheck to paycheck every day. That's right. You know, um, it's really hard for them. So as much as they might love animals, which they obviously do, they might not be able to afford, you know, uh, feeding them higher quality pet food or pet feed, you know, um, as you so astutely describe it. Um, so what we normally try to educate them is, uh, I would say like, do you cook at home? And most of the time they'll say, yeah, they cook a bit, you know? So I'll say like, you know, your, your dry food, your food, you can actually add a little bit of fresh food for your cats or your dog. So, right. yeah. so I would tell them like, you know, especially for like dogs, I say like, you can put some vegetables inside, you just chop it up, you know, um, or you know, even when they're cooking, I say you can share some of the, the meat that, that you're preparing. And yes. because most of the time, they don't know what is bone broth, for instance. You know, yeah. For, yeah. for most, most uh, say, educated parents, they, they will know what is bone broth. But for like lower income people where maybe English is not their first language, um, right. they, they might not understand what is bone broth. So I would tell them like chicken soup, you know. Yeah. I, and I say like just put a whole chicken in when you're cooking for your family just don't put you know like the garlic or you know the onions too much right. just a little bit of salt if you want but I, I tell them like you know just share the liquid and tear the meat off the bone I say never feed the bone but you can give that to your cat or your dog and that will help that's right yeah even just reducing especially for cats and dry food the the UTI the urinary tract infections that they get oh absolutely yeah the the exception is with a cat a cat should never eat a dry food yeah so you know this is in a way, it's a bit of an uphill battle for us over here because obviously the, the number one thing that they all feed is dry food because that's what they can afford to buy. And yeah. ironically, it's like, it's just as bad as, you know, when you go to the supermarket at the checkout con- counter and all the junk food, all the candies and, and chocolates is at within eye level of the child and the trolley, <laughs> you know, and the kid will just grab out and, and mama, um, mama, I want this too. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so, yeah. so for for a lot of the low income families, they don't even go to say a a um a pet food store to buy the pet food. Normally, they will go to the local uh, mini mart or grocery yeah, right, store. Right. So that is the usually it's not the highest quality kibble yeah. either. You know. So we, we try we try to educate them. And I had one family that actually uh, learned the, hard, the lesson the hard way where their cat, the male cat got blockage. He couldn't pee. Yes. And they had, yeah. to, they had to put him in at a clinic uh, for about a week and it almost cost them $1,000 over dollars. And it was, mm. it's a lot of money for them. They, they had, to sell, oh, they had yeah. to sell, I think the guy had to sell his fishing rod. His, they had to borrow money from their relatives just to you know, pay the bill. And yeah. I and I explained to them like don't feed dry food anymore on its own. And if you really had to add more liquid fluid, you know, more fresh yes. food. Yeah. So, you know, in a way, it's a blessing in disguise for this particular family because now they actually tell all their friends about the evil of dry food, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and they do try yeah. their best to to you know, depending on how much they earn and, and what they can do, they will always try to freshen up the bowl. So, 
And bone broth is a great way if you feed a dehydrated food. Mm. I don't know if you if you have those yeah. there, um, but you can rehydrate the food with the bone broth. So you're you're adding you know a little more nutrients in there. So um, bone broth is once you you know if the family has had the chicken for dinner, then take all those bones and put them in a crock pot and cook them overnight, 24 hours, and then throw all the solids out. And what's left is wonderful for your pet. And it's basically free because this was what you you used for your family first, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's wonderful, yeah. So do you think... I don't know. Um, not meaning to be disrespectful, but um, how old are you now? Oh, I'm I'm about to be sixty-five. Wow. And yeah. have I mean, like, has it ever occurred to you that you might retire from this? Um. Yeah. I I I, I would like to. You know, at my age, I would kind of like to slow down a little bit. Um. But at at this point in time, you know. That, that just can't happen. I still have, I have a checklist of things that I want to accomplish first. And then I'll step back and my, my daughter can take over, you know, more of truth about pet food and write and so forth. So she helps me every day. Anyway, we work, it's both of us doing the websites. Um, but she just has a behind the scenes role at this point. And there'll be a day when I do go, okay, you're, you're doing more of this. She gets the, the front row and I take the back seat. So what, what would you like your legacy to be? Um, that I helped pets, you know, that I helped a pet have a healthier life that, um, you know, I empowered people to, to feed their animals better. That, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, when I, when I go up against, and this, this might sound crazy, but it's my belief, these animals that have died to, um, I mean, my animal dog way back then, I firmly believe her death was to send me on this path. Okay, so she sort of gave her life to teach me a valuable lesson. Um, there's a lot of animals that have passed and um, they're out there cheering all of us on. And, and when I'm in a difficult situation, uh, you know, where I'm, um, you know, at a regulatory meeting or meeting with FDA, I honestly feel these animals, you know, with me, you know, their, their spirits with me and holding me up, you know, you can do this, let's go. So, um, you know, I want, I want to represent them in, in the proper way and respect all of those animals and, and the people um, as well too, their their owners. When you lose one, it takes away part of your heart. And so many families have needlessly lost their pet, me, 
you know, that pet food didn't need to stay fresh for 25 years. Absolutely, it had no need whatsoever and it caused cancer in my dog. Um, so the heartache that that causes, that's what I hope that I can, can help more with. And I, I, I would like to be remembered as somebody, one that tried, you know, she, she tried. Well, Susan Thixton, on behalf of all the parents and all the pets, past and present that you have helped, I just want to say a big thank you because you have truly inspired me and so many others, you know, to follow in your footsteps, to really fight the good fight, to demand the truth about pet food, you know, um, and you're such an awesome lady, you know, so blessings, <laughs> blessings to you and to your daughter, your family oh, for doing you. what you do. You know, it really is thank you. amazing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Wow. I'm so thankful and grateful that you took the time to listen to this podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, download, rate, review, and share this with others whom you care about that may enjoy it as well. Thank you and remember to be kind to yourself and others. Have a awesome day, everyone. <laughs>